Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Bethesda. We're so grateful that you uh, come out and chose Bethesda to attend this morning. And we are starting a new sermon series entitled, I Hath Not Seen. And we're looking through the Bible's lens for our life to see what God's plans are. So we're going to take our text from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, We'll start there and uh, read a few verses, and we'll be flipping around in our Bible, so keep it in your lap, and we'll go to several other places throughout the, even into the Old Testament, and looking for some things about what God has to say to us about I hath not seen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says in that verse, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them, verse 10, but God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we pray that it would apply to our heart today. Lord, that you would speak to us in this place that you allow us to leave the way that you would have for us to leave to serve you better. In Jesus' name I pray. Everyone says amen. These verses are uh, verses that I wanted to look at today, and I want to read most of chapter 2, so that can go into your uh, week-long reading this week if you can just study 1 Corinthians a little bit and look into it to know in more in context of where this scripture comes from. Uh, I want to get into more of it, but these two verses, because i got so much to say today uh, that I want to get through, so we're not going to read the whole thing. But this uh, was written by a, a man named Paul. The Apostle Paul uh, wrote this uh, letter, uh, this uh, writing back to the church at Corinth, and he was writing it to a church that had some issues going on, and, and they had some uh, spiritual discipline they needed, and Paul was writing back, and he was setting some things in order. So he was telling them, you got this going uh, wrong, and you need to take care of these things, for one. Uh, some guy uh, had married his, his, his uh, mother, his father's wife, which is pretty sad, right? So Paul had to line that out. Everybody knows that's pretty bad. So Paul was lining out issues like that, and he would tell them when there was a wrong. And he would also congratulate them or brag on them or encourage them when they was doing some things right. So... Uh, we need to look at that uh, as saying that whenever Paul is writing here that sometimes, yes, that God gets on us a little bit. He'll dig into us a little bit. He, he will prod us a little bit to try to make us better people. But at the same time, he will also pat us on the back and tell us good job when we do a good job. Amen? That God loves, has pleasure in his children and he loves us. He encourages us. And uh, Paul, this uh, great apostle of God, in my opinion, by writing so many of the New Testament books, uh, but if you know his history, it makes it a little different. So his name used to be Saul. So we see him in the book of Acts that Saul was this uh, Jewish person living in Jerusalem. Uh, he had grew up outside of the country but moved into Jerusalem and studied there and was a, a devout Jewish person. He did everything he thought possible for his religion. Uh, he loved it dearly. And his name was Saul, and Saul of Tarsus. And 
He was living life there, and when Jesus came and lived on this earth for his uh, 33 and a half years, according to history, and died on the cross, Paul was alive for all this stuff. He wasn't alive. He was a little bit younger than Jesus, but he was alive through the ministry of Jesus. So this guy named Saul uh, lived through that time when Jesus walked the earth, and he saw it firsthand. And but as the Jesus was here and he died on the cross and we know the story of how 40 days he stayed with his disciples and then 10 days uh, he ascended and how the 10 days later the baptism of the Holy Spirit came and there was power for the church was born. And Paul, Saul didn't like that very well. He didn't like it that there was a new religion in town. He didn't like it that God was doing something different than what he had always known. He wanted to make it his way and not God's way. So Saul was out there, and he actually would go so far as, if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see, I think it's Acts chapter 8 or 7 or 8, somewhere thereabout, that he goes into the town, and whenever he's there, that there's this guy Stephen was preaching, and as Stephen was preaching, uh, the people got uh, dismayed by it, the Jews did, and they come in and they arrested him, and they took him out on the outskirts of town, and they stoned him to death for believing in Jesus, for being a church. So as this is happening, Saul is standing there, and it says that they put their coats at his feet, and he actually held some of their coats so that they could stone this guy for believing something different than they believed. So he's there, and he goes into all Jerusalem, and he continues this fight, and this, it's, he's just on this tear about uh, opposing the church and uh, uh, opposing the church to the point even to seeing people die for it. But as he gets on his high horse and he rides out of town, he goes to the high priest one day and he says, you know what, I hear that the Christian movement is growing, that there's this religion and it's going to take over and it's going to run our society, it's going to run our culture. And he says, high priest, send me out of town to this town called Damascus because I hear there's a bunch of Christians there. So he gets on his horse and he heads out of town. And we know this story that it's the road to Damascus now written in the Bible. But in that day and time, he was going to persecute the church. He was going to tear down Christians. He was going to put them in jail for believing in Jesus. We said in the freedom in this place today, able to believe in whatever religion we would like, amen, we can attend whatever name of the church over the door we want to in America today, and we have all this freedom. It hasn't always been this way. We ought to cherish this freedom. So as Paul goes out of town and he takes off towards this town, Damascus, and it's in modern-day Syria, the, town, the, the nation that's in the news every day where all this war and turmoil is going on today in, in this nation of Syria, Damascus is there and he, he heads that way and as he's going out through there, he's, I can imagine in his mind he's thinking about, man, I'm going to be able to get me this many Christians and I'm going to be able to tear down the church and I'm going to be able to do this and do that. He's plotting and planning, wasn't he? But as he's riding out through this road, the Bible says that as he comes up over this hill that there's a bright light shone from heaven. And when the bright light shone, Jesus himself appears to this guy named Saul. And as Jesus is there, he says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Jesus is the church. Jesus is alive on the inside of you and me. So when somebody opposes the church, they're opposing not you. They're not putting you down for your beliefs and all that. They're actually opposing Jesus. So Saul was doing this. And as Jesus met him on that road that day, the light was so bright that it blinded him. Everybody say, I hath not seen. 
So he had never seen this before. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why kickest thou against the pricks? Why are you doing this? And he tells him, he says, go into the city, and whenever you go into the city, I'm going to have a guy to come and meet you there, and his name will be Ananias, and he will pray for you, and he will lay hands upon you, and you'll receive your sight back. So this vision that Paul had for, Saul had for his life, going out persecuting the church, all of a sudden Jesus blinds him, literally. His eyes become as scales. He could not see anything, and he had to be led into this other town. And there's this guy named Ananias comes up in town. He comes over to him and talks to him. And it had to be scary, right? This is the guy that's killing the church. And Jesus tells Ananias, go pray for him. How many of us would go pray for somebody that Jesus told us to go pray for if it's somebody like Marilyn Manson or somebody like Charles Manson or, or some of these other uh, people that are scary people to be in the room with? But Ananias obeys God. And he goes over and he lays hands on him and he prays for him. And as he prays for him, his sight comes back. He can see because that's what Jesus said to do. So Saul gets a new name. And his name becomes Paul. And he's the guy writing these words. Think about how much it means to him. I hath not seen nor has ear heard, nor has it entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Amen. And what if we could just get a glimpse of the power of God and what his will is on this earth and his vision and not our vision, amen, that we could obtain the things that God has desired for us. So this guy had his life radically changed, right? That God touched him and ministered to him and showed him the way to the cross of Jesus. And Paul becomes a believer and he begins to preach. And, and there's people even in the church then when Paul got uh, converted and he become a Christian. And he would go into the churches. And the Bible says in Acts that as he would go into churches, they'd say, Isn't this the same Saul that was killing those people just a few days ago? I'm not going to let him preach here. How many of us would allow somebody that God wants to use that maybe is outside of our norm and we stop them from preaching the gospel because we think it is not God's way whenever God's really in it? We've got to be careful on what we think and just obey. So the definition of vision, because if, I, if you have eyes and you have eyes to see, you have to have vision. And the definition of vision is the act or the power of seeing according to Merriam-Webster Dictionary. The special sense by which the qualities of an object, such as color, luminosity, shape, or size, constituting its appearances, are perceived through the process in which light rays enter the eye. They're transformed by the retina into electrical signals that are transmitted to the brain by the optic nerve. It's amazing that you can see. Think of the miracle right now that you're capable of sitting here and able to see. And the design of God did that. That we were made fearfully and wonderfully in his image. So it also means something seen in a dream, a trance. It's a supernatural appearance that conveys the revelation. That's what a vision is. That's what to have vision means. That we need this vision 
We need this clarity. And if I hasn't seen it, but God wants us to see it, then we have to have vision to be able to do that. It's a thought, a concept, an object formed by the imagination. It's a manifestation to the senses, something immaterial. It's not just visions, but it becomes realities. That's what vision means. Can you imagine? Christian song a few years ago, I could only imagine what it would be like if I walked by your side. Imagine. The guy writing that song just imagines what, I think it was his father, right, that had passed away, that he was imagining what it would be like to walk by his dad on the streets of glory. So in speaking about vision and, and looking at vision, and if we want that vision where we can see God and know God and understand the things of God, I begin to look through the Bible, and there's a, a verse that everybody quotes automatically whenever, if you've been in Christianity very long at all, if you've been in church much at all, you'll hear this verse uh, constantly uh, talked about and preached. Proverbs 29, 18, it says, For where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. We've heard that verse over and over and over. You'll go to seminars, and they'll be doing church growth seminars and, and different things, and even business people are taught this verse. I've been in business meetings where the, if they bring up Scripture, maybe it's a, a godly type of business, and they'll bring up this Scripture, and they'll say where there's no vision of people perishing. They actually put it into context to say that they think it means a plan. They'll say, you need a five-year plan. You need a three-year plan for your church. And if you don't have a vision for your church, then the people will perish. They'll cast off restraint, actually is what the word means, and, and they won't come anymore because there's not a vision. You're not going anywhere. People wants to be part of something that's moving. Amen. And I've heard those things, and I, I believe them to be true in principles, but this verse, is not, that's not what it's talking about in this verse. This verse says where there's no vision, the actual word in the Hebrew means a revelation. So it's not just vision about planning your life. It's about a revelation from God through His Word. So where there is no vision, there's no revelation, the people perish. That's you and me. We're people. So if, we're, if we cast off restraint, if, we, if we're burdened down with some things and, and we can't get our, our heads straight and it seems like life is so complex that you can't do anything with it, you're, maybe you're not reading the Bible enough. Because the verse goes on to say, but happy, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. How many would rather be happy than sad? Yeah. Amen? Amen? I don't want to be sad anymore. I want to be happy, right? I want to live a happy life. And if you're going to be happy, keep the law. Because as you look at this law of God, as you look at the Bible, and you begin to live it out, I'm telling you right now that you'll be more happy. Whenever God gives you revelation of a word and you read a verse, and then that day, somewhere in context of that day, maybe you'll come into conversation with somebody, and you'll say, man, I just read that this morning. That's amazing. It's like a revelation from God for the moment for you to talk to somebody, to help somebody else. You'll become happy. I promise you. If we would wake up every morning and read God's Word first rather than Facebook first, we'd be happier. Amen? Amen? 
Because as his word gets applied to our heart and engrafted to our heart, it becomes a reality in the life that we're living. His word comes alive. I love it when I get revelation from God about some scripture that I've never thought about that way before. I've, I've never read it that way before. And all of a sudden, it, it just pops off the, off the page to me. It's like, well, I've never thought of that. Just like this. About Paul and Saul. I have not seen. Think about how much that verse meant to him, a guy that had seen the things through the Jewish lens of life and never seen it through the Christian things of life. And he allowed the Christianity to come in because he accepted what Jesus did to him on that road to Damascus. A revelation happened. There was a revealing of Jesus in his life. It changed him. It transformed him. And it can do that for you. All we have to do is accept him. All we have to do is believe in him. All we have to do is trust him. If we'll do that, we will know that God is at work. We will see him move. It's Matthew chapter 5. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How many wants to see him? Amen. Purify your heart. Amen. Amen. Cleanse your hands. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and be cleansed. And as you're cleansed, as you become righteous before God, it allows us to begin to see him. The more we wake up and confess, the more we say, God, I don't, I don't meet your standards. I don't keep all your laws. I don't do everything you tell me to do. The sooner we begin to say, forgive me, God, the clearer he becomes. So, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? Let's see if you'll put up the next thing on my screen. Somebody say amen. <laughs> next week has been exhausting. How many ever, ever felt like that? Just like before the week ever never gets, you, you can sit here right now and think, man, this week I, I'm going to have to do this and I'm going to have to do that and I, I got this on the schedule and I got that on the schedule and I don't, I don't know how it's going to go and, and, and you know, I got to plan all these things and think about all these things and I got to put all this effort into it and I got to get all this ready and, and this is going on and that's going on. What am I going to do? We get exhausted before it ever even gets here. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Take no thought about it. Come on, church. Tomorrow's going to take care of itself. It said it'll take care of itself. There's already enough burdens for tomorrow to take care of itself. You don't have to worry about it. It don't add anything to it. It's going to be bad enough already. Live in the moment. Live in the now. And if there's a revelation that the church of Jesus needs to have today is for us to stop plotting and planning our lives and getting all these burdens on our shoulders and living tomorrow when Jesus gives us today. Let's live in the now and do something with it and, and begin to speak to people and, and, and do the things of evangelism that Dusty just talked to us about the past couple weeks. Tired of being burdened. Tired of being consumed in planning my life. There's nothing wrong with planning either. 
I believe you shouldn't go through nonchalantly through life and just living carelessly and haphazardly and never doing anything. Jesus told him one time, he said, if a guy goes to build a barn, he should think about it, and he should get the resources together, and he should be prepared before he ever starts. Amen? There's nothing wrong with a good plan. I'm not saying don't plan at all. I'm saying don't get burdened down with that plan. It'll be okay to plan. You say plan your work and work your plan. Amen? Do it. Get you a plan together, nothing wrong with that. Sitting up here a while ago, and I asked Jillian, I said, what are you going to be? She said, I'm going to be a nurse. I said, cool, you get to take care of people. She said, yeah, I might get to take care of you. <laughs> I said, you ain't going to take care of me. I got a flu shot this week. I'm not going to get sick the rest of my life. I'm good. I'm going to be healthy from here on out. You got me a flu shot. So in thinking about vision and thinking about this in biblical terms, and I wanted to go into the Old Testament to study a story about uh, talking about vision and talking about I not seeing things and how that I have not seen. And if we're going to uh, preach about this, then I, I think we need to take the whole counsel of God, which is Old Testament, New Testament, and all of it put together, and it all still applies to our life, right? So, but talking about this burden down thing. Let's stay here for a minute. You're exhausted, right? How many's exhausted? How many's tired? Yeah. Amen. I'm just tired. How many liked the extra hour of sleep last night? I didn't get it. I got up at six fifteen. It would have been I don't know, I just woke up anyway. Probably because the dog and his time didn't change. He didn't know no different. He got up at the same time. He didn't know the time changed. So we're exhausted. We're bedged out, what my dad used to call it all the time. Man, I'm bedged out. I don't even know what that means, bedged out, but that's what he'd say. Tired. What if God gave you a clear revelation that he designed you for a day of rest? What if God, in the beginning of time, created the heavens and the earth, created the mountains and, and, and waters, and he'd he done all this work, and six days he created this whole thing, the whole world and everything we know about it, and all the universe, and he created all that in six days, and then he rested on the seventh day, right? We know that story, Genesis chapter 1. As God created all that, and then he took a rest on the seventh day, he rested. Was God tired? The Bible says that God neither rests nor slumbers. He never sleeps nor slumbers. He don't get tired. He don't get tired of your foolishness. Amen? How many's ever got tired of somebody else's foolishness? Somebody around you, they, they done something stupid over and over and day after day after day after day. And finally you're just like, man, I'm over it. I, I'm not going to deal with that anymore. God don't get tired of that. He chases you. He loves you. He cherishes you. And no matter how many times you mess up and slip up and do this or do that, he's chasing you down. He's saying, I'm not going to get tired of chasing you. As long as you're breathing, you can come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as God's chasing you, think about this. He don't sleep nor slumber. He's not tired. The reason he took that day of rest was to show you how. Because later on, he comes up with the law and gives it to Moses, and he tells Moses, there's these top ten things I want people to do. Man, if I can just hold out on these top ten, 
The Big Ten. Well, they're actually called the Ten Commandments, but it's God's top ten. Amen? And one of those top ten that he tells them is to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Listen to a sermon last week uh, from Robert Morris down in Texas, a big church down there. And I, I listened to Robert Morris last week, and, and he preached about the Sabbath, and it kind of convicted me a little bit. So yesterday morning I woke up, it's a Saturday, and you know, man, I, I love Saturdays off, and I was thinking, man, I ain't going to do nothing. Saturday off, I'm just going to take the day off, and I'm going to do nothing. I like do-nothing days, because God told me to, right? So I wake up that morning, little did I know that we got an event downtown to go to, and this event downtown, there's people everywhere, and you got to meet all these people, and shake all these hands, and kiss all these babies, and smack all these people, and you know, that kind of event, and you're down there doing all this stuff, and, and it's kind of like, it's cumbersome, right? It's kind of, it wear you out, and then next thing you know, we get in the truck, and unless it's like, well, we, we ain't no sense of going home, because the time we get home, we have to turn around and come right back, because we've got to go to this birthday party for this 55-year-old man. Come on, somebody. It's time to give, give up the birthday parties by the time you hit 55. It's over. No need. I mean, we can go to kids' birthday parties. It'll be all right. So 55-year-old man, we go to a birthday party, and in the middle of it, Les is like, well, we're not done now because Isabel's birthday party's up to Kentucky Heights, so we tear up to here to Kentucky Heights wide open. We come down in there, and Isabella's down there, and our kids, and they're dancing, and I have to get up there and dance with them and just have a hoedown, you know. Yeah. That was my day off. Come on, Isabella, get a different birthday. What's wrong with you? It did sound like a pretty fun day off because I did get chocolate cake, Isabella. Thank you very much. With a piece of pizza. And they said, that's not right. Don't eat it at the same time. I was taking a bite of pizza and eating chocolate cake. That's the way I like doing it. I'll be me. But God tells them to have a day of rest. And, and Robert Morse was amazing in this. And he said one time he, he, he committed his Sabbath because preachers can't take Sunday off. You know, a lot of people ought to take Sunday off. And... Uh, he can't take Sunday off because he's a preacher, right? So you preach on Sundays, and they say that a sermon, every time you give a sermon, is basically like working four hours. The energy, they've done studies and tests on it, and the amount of energy that you exert in preaching a sermon is like working four hours. So that's like eight hours for me every Sunday, just doing this again, right? Two sermons in a row, eight hours worth of work for me. So he takes off Mondays, and a, and a guy come up to him one time, and he said he learned this lesson way back, that a guy walked up to him and said, uh, I know you're off on Mondays, but do you care to go ahead and do this? He's like, you want me to commit adultery too? You want me to go up and smack my mom? Or, I mean, why is all these other ones so bad that we think about them as that big of a sin? But we don't equate the way God equates. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. What if your rest is the reason your lack of rest and lack of taking your Sabbath is why you're already exhausted before you get to next week? There's nothing wrong with a good day off. Right, Ryan? Nothing wrong with a good day in a recliner. There's nothing wrong with doing it God's way. If he rested... He was just giving you an example of how to rest. Take a day off. Don't get burdened down with the cares of this world because there's a heaven going to be here tomorrow. Amen? Rest. I need to rest. You need to rest. We all need to rest. Look at your neighbor and say, take a day off.
Amen. Take tomorrow off. Don't call in work. Don't have them call Pastor Ben. That's not going to work. Yeah, don't do that. Take a, your day off of work off. How about that? And nurses, they, they got to work, you know. So it can't be a certain day of the week. I think you can become over-religious about things, and that's what they did in the New Testament, and that's why they got on Jesus about healing on the Sabbath. They were so crazy, they thought it was awful for him to go up and heal somebody on the Sabbath. How crazy is that? We need to put some reality on it, right? But there's nothing wrong with you taking a day of rest every week. So it, if you want to come unexhausted, there's your revelation. Start resting. If you want to become unexhausted, there's your revelation. Start taking rest days. You'll see it happen, I assure you. Because if you obey his word, what's it say in Proverbs? Happy is he. Amen. It's true. You know it's true. I know it's true. Do we always obey it? Do we always abide by it? Nope. Is it our fault whenever we're exhausted before the week gets here? Nope. Yep. Yes, it is. It's not God's fault. He told you how. He even showed you. He didn't even need to rest, but he did it anyway because you ain't going to be smart enough to figure it out. He's like, watch me. I'll show you. So in the Old Testament, oh, Lord, it's 23. And my belly's growing, too, so I'm hungry. Um, I have not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, the things God has planned for you. I really believe this today, that God has such a plan for every person in this room. And sometimes we've got to get a revelation moment to be able to hear it and understand it and apply it and thank God that he has given me a revelation. But you've got to be acceptable to it. So this story that I want to go to now in just a few short minutes, we're going to do this in seven minutes. So 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. It's Old Testament. I just want to read a few of the verses. 1 Samuel chapter 3 in the Old Testament. There's this... Uh, I love this story about a young kid named Samuel that his mom uh, was barren, could not have a child, and prayed to God that God would give her a child. And she said, if you give me this child, then I'll turn him over to you, and he'll be used in your, in your temple, and I'll, I'll give him wholly to you. He'll be, I'll, you know, because some people bring up, and we do baby dedications. It's pretty amazing. You know, some family will come up, and, and Brandon Brandon is going to bring a little one, what's his name, um, Seth up, and, and we're, going, we're going to dedicate him here in a few weeks or something. And as you stand there and hold them, they'll, they'll give them to you to hold for a minute, but then always have to give them back. You see this story here about Samuel. His mom brought him up and dedicated him to the Lord, and he stayed at the church. What if you left your kid here? Don't do that. Please don't. Take them home with you. I don't need any. We don't need any around here. It'd be good enough. Take them back home with you. Bring them on Sundays. Children's church is good. We love having them there. It's, all, it's awesome. First, first, first Samuel chapter 3. So, and, and the child Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Everybody say, I have not seen. So there was no vision. There was no open revelation. This word actually means the same word in Proverbs. It's no revelation was happening. 
And it's amazing because there's seasons where that God speaks and God, His, His Spirit really manifests itself to us and it's a real tangible thing and you can sense it and know it. it's in the room and, and during music and sometimes you'll have to cry whenever you don't even want to cry because the Spirit of God moves amongst His people. But there's seasons where that you'll feel a dry place. Come on, old saints. There's seasons where you go through to think, man, I don't sense God. I don't feel God. But guess what? You need to still come. You still need to participate. And even though I don't feel it sometimes, I need to raise my hand anyway just to be in signifying, saying, God, I relinquish my will to yours. I'll accept your will over mine. And in doing so, that dry season will become wet again. It's just like this end of this summer. We've been through a drought, haven't we? We couldn't even grow grass at our house. It's a dirt pile up on the side of our hill. What no rain. When there's no rain, nothing grows. And that's due of heaven. It's like the Spirit of God falling on our life. And if we don't feel it and we don't see it, then there's no growth, right? And we look around and think, why, God? It feels like I'm in the midst of a, of a dry spell here. The best thing you can do in that situation is keep doing the last thing he told you to do. That's what they tell you in the military, right? If you get cut off from amongst the ranks, Ernie, what are you supposed to do? Follow your last command. Right, Pap? Follow your last command. So whatever God has told you last, your last revelation you got from him, that's the thing to still be doing in the midst of your dry spell. There was one time between the Old Testament and New Testament, there was 400 years that God did not speak at all. Think about that. Not one prophet, not one revelation, nothing for 400 years. And all of a sudden, the Christmas story in the Gospels happens. And there's angels. We have heard on high. Right? That's a revelation. Can you imagine 400 years of a dry spell? We can't make it through three months of a dry spell in our Christian life without getting disheartened. They went 400 years as Jews, and all of a sudden God shows up on the scene with a revelation. And people were jubilant, right? Shepherds came. Amen? Oh, I can't get into the Christmas story. I'll give away... Greg will get all excited and he might even say, But this, this story we're hearing about here, that there was no revelation in those days that, that this, this little kid, Samuel, ministered unto the Lord. There's no one provision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. might need to hear this so this old man had been in charge of Israel that God gave Eli this responsibility to give revelation to God's people to speak to God's people to touch God's people 
And because his eyes grew dim, the people had no revelation. So as your pastor, it's P-A-S-T-O-R. You know that, right? It's not P-A-S-T-U-R-E. Yeah, I'm not what everybody needs to be eating on. Amen. I'm your pastor. Enough people chew on me everywhere else. I don't need it at church. Amen. That's how I say it, though. I, I said it wrong. You know, that's how, as I say it, that's how it sounds. My twang is pastor. Sounds like the other way. I wanted to spell it for you. So as, as this happens, this revelation stops because Eli, and it says in this rest of the story as you go through here, that as Eli, because as, as he speaks, people hear, and people have revelation. But whenever his eyes grew dim, it actually affected other people. And can I tell you today that if you allow the revelation to stop flowing through your life, it will affect other people? That's why I have to pray and say, God, please give a word for Bethesda. Please give me something to say to the congregation here so that people can walk out and know that God is speaking, that God is still talking to us. So Samuel's there, and he, it says, And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple in the Lord where the ark of God was to Samuel and was laid down and he went to sleep. So Samuel's there, he's this kid, he's working in church and, and his mom gave him air and he, he goes up and you know at the end of the day after it's all over and the, the light, you know, the lamp, he's got this menorah thing that he lights every day and, and it starts to burn out, the candles start burning out. So when the light goes out, what do you do? You go to sleep. So he just lays down and like, yeah, it's a pretty good time here. Thank you God for a good day. Uh, I'll just go to sleep now. Samuel, Samuel. Samuel thinks it's Eli. That's the only person he's ever answered to. So he runs over. Hey, Eli, what's up, dude? Eli's like, I didn't say nothing. Go back to sleep, boy. Don't you wish you could do that to your kids? When they come running in your room, Mommy, I want to sleep in your bed. Get in your own bed. That's what Eli was saying. Get in your own bed. So Samuel goes back over, lays down again, and he does this three times that he comes back to Eli. Eli, what do you want, man? No, I didn't say nothing. Go to sleep. And then finally he says, Samuel, maybe it's God talking. The next time you go back, just say, speak, Lord, when you hear that. So Samuel goes back and lays down his fourth time. And as he lays down, then it's, the Lord speaks again. says, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel leans up and he says, yes, Lord, speak. And God speaks to him and tells him a vision, a revelation, and tells him what's going to happen and how Eli's going to die and Eli's kids are going to die and this is going to happen there's a war coming and all these things. And, and as he gets this revelation, he goes out and he, he wakes up the next morning and he thinks, man, I can't tell Eli this. How are you going to tell somebody you're going to die? That don't sound like fun, does it? Sometimes God will tell you to say some things that's not going to be very fun for you to say. So Eli the next morning says, Samuel, tell me what did God say? Samuel's like, ah. and Eli said, if you don't tell me, worse things come upon you than what God tells you to tell me. Samuel tells him. And that, it comes to pass. It's a revelation from God, and it comes to pass. Eli's sons go out in the battle. They are defeated, and they actually take the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, and it's obtained by the Philistines, and they, they capture the Ark of God, the holiest grail in all the Old Testament, and the enemy takes it. And when the word comes back and Eli's sitting on his big chair and he don't have any revelation, he don't have any knowledge about nothing but other than this little boy's word to him, 
And as he's sitting there that day, he's thinking battles are going to happen just like all battles do. And he's sitting on his big king chair, and he's sitting there, and they come up, and the, and the, and the carrier comes back, and he says, Guess what? Guess what? Your sons are die. They're dead. They have died in battle. But they've also captured the Ark of the Covenant. And it says that Eli fell off his chair and broke his neck. It's there. I know you don't like gory stories or anything. I know you guys are so holy that you can't go around anything Halloween and all that kind of stuff. I know there's nothing like that in the Bible that will offend somebody if you talk about it. It's in there if you'll read it. That's kind of gory. That's kind of eerie, right? But guess what? The revelations of God, they're not all uh, sweet honey to our lips. They're not always perfect. They're not always picture. Can you imagine Jeremiah the prophet being told by God? I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you health and expect it in, Jeremiah 29, 11. Can you imagine God telling you that? And then the next thing you know, all, all of your people, everybody in your country are led away in a mass exodus. And watching your White House or your temple burn as you're leaving the country you love. Revelations are from God. What are you going to do with them? I think there's something you need to know today. I think instead of self-helps, how many's ever read a self-help book? Well, you bunch of non-readers. <laughs> non-readers are liars one. I've read self-help books. What if we quit reading self-helps and read God's helps? Amen? What if we'd let His words... Amen. Be the honey on our lips. What if we would let these words be revelations to our heart? And what if he would make his plans known to us? And we would be able to walk and thrive and have our being with this book alive to the world we're living in. I'm done now. We need God's help. We don't need self-help. That's what I want us to pray for today. Would you stand? I hath not seen. So how long has it been since you've heard God speak to you? How long has it been since you've been quiet enough for God to speak? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes, everybody here. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for all these people that we've talked about here today throughout your Bible, God, of how you have revealed yourself to human beings. And God, they have transformed this world that we live on. God, I pray that your word that was revealed to them would be revealed to us. And God, that every person in this room at Bethesda today could walk out of this place today knowing that God, you are speaking. And just as Paul wrote down these words in 1 Corinthians, he said, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered the heart of man the things that you have planned for us. He was quoting Isaiah 64. 
And God, I know as we go back and read Isaiah 64 that it asked as Isaiah was praying that he was in this desolate place that he was crying out to you and he said, rend the heavens and come down. God, Leslie just sang a song for us a while ago and I heard people in this congregation singing a song saying, let it rain. Let the heartbeat of heaven be on this earth. God, I pray for revelation knowledge for every person in this room. God, that they will know you in greater ways than they've ever known. Lord, that they would open up their heart and say, God, engraft your words on the tablets of my heart and let me make you known to the people of this world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody here, I just want you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want to ask if you're here today and you're you're just tired and you do need that rest that we spoke about a minute ago. And you're ready for a refreshing from God, a renewal from God, where that He speaks to you and you listen and you hear and you accept the things that He tells you to do. Maybe that's today where that you're going to give your life to Him. Maybe you don't know Him as your personal Savior and you're sitting in this place today and you're saying, man, I need a new start. If that's you, I'd just like for you to raise your hand. Amen. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? Amen. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? And God is speaking. Listen. Whatever you do, listen. If you feel the burdens of this life are weighing you down and you're saying, man, I just need some rest, Pastor. And I want God to speak to me and refresh me and renew me. Just raise your hand. Does anybody say that? I want Him to give me some rest. Amen. Amen. Hands up everywhere. God, you know us better than we know ourselves. You said in your word that you knew us before we were in our mother's womb. And God, I know today that you don't make any accidents. And God, I know that every person standing here, that you have a divine will for their life. That you have a plan for their life. That you know their end from the beginning. And God, as they stand here today and they say they want to know you as their Savior, God, I pray that you would come in and take a bold with them, God. That you would enter their heart, God. That you would rend the heavens and come down and minister to their soul in this place today. And God, as you break our hearts and you cleanse us of all unrighteousness, make yourself known to us, O oh God. For the ones here, God, that are burdened down, I pray you would give them rest, God. And they would walk out of this place today knowing God is my helper. What can man do to me? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.